that uh, something more than light was created on the first day is to say something that the Bible does not say. So I take the position that I think you're most uh, loyal to Scripture if you hold to what commonly was called to the, uh, called the gap theory. Now, it's not important that if you disagree with this, I don't have a problem with you, you should not have a problem with me. Uh, but I, it seems to me that the Bible says God created the heaven and the earth, then the earth was without form and void, there was a period of time, then the Spirit of God moved upon the water, then God said, let there be light. Okay, now, was the gap 20 minutes or was the gap a million years? I don't know. However, that gap is never used, listen carefully, to come up with some kind of pre-Adamic race or some kind of fossil record of animal. No, none of that. The Bible never hints to that. Okay, if you, if you try to add that in there, then you have the problem because you're adding all kinds of things to what the Bible does not say. Now, uh, so just, just, but the point, my point is that then we start creation week with the words, and God said, let there be light. Now, we believe in six literal 24-hour days of creation that were joined together in one week, just like the Bible says, okay? I reject any other theory. Now, we're going to give you a couple other theories. I've written them on the board. We're going to give you a couple other theories today simply because you need to be aware that this is out here. But if you are a Bible believer and you look at this for what it says, it says six literal days, okay? And then God rested on the seventh. One of the struggles that some people have with this is the idea of evolution. We're going to get into that into a moment, which frankly is a very discredited theory, but no one's throwing it away because that's all they've got. We'll go there, we'll go there in just a minute. But the whole point is this. Remember we started this series with an assumption and a way to interpret. We believe in God. We believe in the supernatural. There is no reason that God could not create everything in those six days. Agreed? Agreed? <clears throat> no reason at all. So if, if you're going to try to say something other than what the Bible says, you're reading into the scripture and you're doing so in an effort to take away the supernatural aspect of the word of God. And this is completely problematic, okay? Let the Bible speak for itself. Do not say more than what the Bible says. Do not say less than what the Bible says. And if scripture does not tell you that it's using a genre, a literary genre, that uh, say a figurative speech, okay? Jesus said, I am the door. We know he wasn't saying he was a wooden door, okay? He was doing a comparison thing, okay? If it's, if it's using a figure of speech, fine, but if you cannot identify the use of a legitimate literary figure of speech in the text, do not assign one. The next two theories that we're going to look at, they are false theories, and they're based on the idea that somehow God did not mean precisely what he said. Now, on a larger focus... Genesis chapters 1 through 11, if you take them literally, and I mean really believe what it says, you'll end up at the right place. If you begin to say that parts of it are figurative speech or mythological speech, if you say that, you will always and without exception end up in the wrong place and you will diminish the person of God 
every time you do it. You'll, you'll say that, well, God wasn't capable of just speaking a world into existence, or God wasn't capable of forming man from the dust of the ground, that somehow it had to be through a process of evolution. You will divorce God from his creation and thereby denigrate God. That is why what we're teaching here is very, very important, okay? So let's look at, that's the six-day creation. We talked about that last time. Look at point two. Theistic evolution, what is that? Evolution without God is not a possible position for Christians. Some, therefore, have proposed a compromise view known as theistic evolution. So now listen carefully. These are people who are interested, in whatever reason, in, in maintaining the presence of God and maybe even the biblical authority but they cannot get beyond the evolutionary hypothesis. They are caught up in the science of all of this, or the science so-called of all of this. And so they, they weigh to themselves, they say, we cannot get rid of God, but we cannot throw away evolution. Now, listen carefully. Multiple reasons, hundreds of them, why the theory of evolution does not hold water, okay? It is a very, very weak theory. But uh, so they say, well, I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to believe in God, but I also have to believe and follow the science. And so they developed something called theistic evolution, the idea that there is a God who used evolution in the process of creation. So look at point number one. Theistic evolutionists endorse the model of evolution as the operative principle by which God brought about life on earth. They include God in their scientific theory, but he is not the immediate direct creator. He is the creator of the process, okay? Um, how many of you are familiar with the, and it's really not a theological belief that many would hold to today, if any at all, but the idea of deism, Anyone ever heard of deism? Okay, deism, by the way, some of our, our founding fathers were kind of deists in their thinking. It was the idea that somewhere at some point in time, God wound up the whole universe like you would a clock, and then he released the key and lets, it, lets the clock just tick. I'm using the clock illustration. And lets the clock tick and God stepped back from everything and just let it all happen, okay? We don't believe that at all. The Bible reveals a God that interacts with his creation, that while God is transcendent from his creation, he interacts with it. But in, in the Genesis idea of evolution, they would say, well, God created the earth and God made everything so that it would be hospitable to life and then God perhaps energized the initial you know, amoebas or the working of these celled creatures in the oceans, and then God allowed for millions and millions of years for evolution to develop what we now see in this world. Now, let me tell you something right now. That's not what the Bible says. I reject that because it is not what the Bible says. And, and by the way, prior to Darwin, nobody thought this. Theistic evolution clearly is bowing the knee to Darwinism, okay, which, which almost universal acceptance in the secular um, scientific community without the right level of proof behind it. Things like um, uh, links between the species, where are the missing links? There are so many things. If you want a detailed look at this, I would encourage you to go to Answers in Genesis. Excellent material at Answers in Genesis. You can look it up on the website. 
Um, but this takes away God from being the immediate creator. Um, God appears in the theistic evolution model when science alone is insufficient to answer certain questions. Okay, so we're going to bring God into the picture when science doesn't work. So, for example, the origin of matter. Where did, where did matter come from? Well, Pastor Monty, back in the day, everything was just gas floating around in the universe before something ignited a big bang. Now, that's evolutionary talk, right? Um, where'd the gas come from? Well, gas always was. Oh, so gas is eternal, but God is not eternal. Now listen carefully. When you take a materialistic model, you are forced to assign attributes to material that you would normally assign to God. You're forced to do that. You're forced to say that somehow in this gigantic accident and explosion, which I'm going to tell you something, folks. You'd have to be nuts to believe that. And, and why, do, well, Pastor Monty, you know, it's in all the science textbooks. If you start to look, how many of you are interested in, in astronomy and the movement of the planets? Anyone? A few of you. When you start to look at outer space and how extensive is the universe and beyond, and when you look at the inner workings of all of that, and you understand everything that is present, when you, when you look at the vastness of outer space, you cannot possibly come up with the idea that that all just happened by accident, okay? In fact, the mathematical probability is zero that that could happen by accident, that we're here by accident, but they won't talk about that. So uh, theistic evolutionists will say, yes, I believe in God, and then they will say he was the originator of matter, um, then that matter came together and created what we see here. Um, the form of matter, they will talk about God uh, using matter that he created, putting it into a form. The emergence of life, they would perhaps say that God, this is a theistic evolutionist, would perhaps say that God uh, gave the initial spark to life, but then allowed for evolution to work its um, way through the ages. The appearance of personality and God consciousness in man, they would say, hey, you know, man has a personality. Man is a little different from the animals. We have a consciousness of God. They would say that that came from God, but they would still argue for evolution. Let me say, without, without any compromise, that that is a wrong position. Okay, you cannot claim to believe the Bible and hold to theistic evolution. If you can explain away as mythology the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, you may as well not believe anything about your Bible. Okay, I say, I say that very, very firmly. Uh, the foundation of all scriptures, those first 11 chapters. So, uh, look at point three. At least two eminent fundamentalist scholars hinted at the possibility of this position, B.B. Warfield and James Orr. Now, let me talk about those men. Uh, they were what we would call early fundamentalists. Pastor Monty, what in the world's a fundamentalist? Okay, quick little history lesson. Uh, so back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, theological liberalism, particularly in Germany, began to corrupt the various theological training centers, schools. Princeton University would be an example. How many of you knew that Princeton was a fundamentalist Presbyterian institution? Yeah, yeah, very ultra-conservative, okay, at one point. And, um, and so liberalism, which denied the Bible, denied what we're talking about here, 
began to enter into those schools. As the schools trained the preachers, liberalism came into the denominations, okay? Denying what we're talking about here in the book of Genesis would be one of the grand examples of this. So within the American Baptist Convention, that would be more concerning to us, or, or the Northern, what was called the Northern Baptist Convention at that time, uh, the Northern Baptist Convention became very liberal. There were preachers and teachers who were denying the truth of scripture. They were uh, denying it in classrooms, in seminaries, in colleges that were sponsored by the denomination. Well, what happened? A bunch of Bible-believing men were like, nope, we're not having this. They fought it out on the floor of the convention. Now, that was a denomination that was highly conventionalized, and they fought it out on the floors of the convention. Finally, they lost the battles and the votes on the floors of the convention, and so what did they do? They pulled their churches out, okay? And that's where, by the way, the independent Baptist movement started, was pulling out of a corrupt convention, okay? So they pulled their churches out. Um, how many are familiar with the GARBC? Oh yeah, a lot of you are, okay. The GARBC, General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, under, under um, Dr. Ketchum, Robert Ketchum, what a godly man, this is many, many years ago, uh, formed that association. Now, it was not a denomination, it was just an association of churches that had come out of the Northern Baptist Convention and now were wanting to take a conservative, Bible-believing stand. But at the time, and you've got to understand something, at the time when Darwinism had, was gaining steam and acceptance, it was very, very difficult for some Christians to argue against it. And they struggled with it because they didn't have the background in science. How many of you are familiar historically with something called the Scopes Monkey Trial? Okay, a lot of you are familiar with that. Yeah, yeah, that was a teacher who was, was the, the issue of evolution in the classroom and this big trial uh, that came up and there was a big, it was national, national news. And, and the conservatives so-called won the trial but lost the case in the sense of public opinion was gone. And when they, they tried to make us look like monkeys, like fools, okay? And so there are any number of Christians, sincere men, who said, well, maybe we need to modify our position. That was a mistake, okay? B.B. Warfield was one of those men. Now, B.B. Warfield, I don't know if I should get into all this. B.B. Warfield, he was a Presbyterian. He was a, a Presbyterian scholar. He was a great defender of what he called the inerrancy of scripture. What does inerrancy mean? That there's no errors, okay, in the Bible. He was a great defender of that. Um, he wasn't as much of a defender of the infallibility of scripture. What, huh? What's the difference? He would say there was no errors in the original autographs, the original manuscripts, but infallibility says that the copies that we have now are, have been preserved by God. We believe in both, inerrancy and infallibility. He wasn't so big on that. So he, he a little bit, though he was a conservative and could certainly have been called a fundamentalist, B.B. Warfield a little bit fudged on some things. Later on, those theological chickens came home to roost. Okay, who was James Orr? James Orr was the editor. How many of you are familiar with this? the editor of the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Anyone fam familiar with that? Okay, the older copies of that, the older editions are better than the newer editions, but in that, it's about a set this big. I have two of them, and one, one of the old ones, one of the new ones on my shelf. Um, uh, it's, it's good articles, very good articles, but James Orr also was scared about this evolution thing. And here's what the idea was, folks. The idea was this. 
well, if evolution is true, then we better find a way to slip it into the Bible so that we don't lose everything. We don't do that. Okay, let, 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 let us be clear. Let us be clear. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Okay? Well, Pastor Monty, don't you know, pretty soon they're going to introduce biological space aliens and they're going to tell us that this planet Earth, life on Earth, was seeded by space aliens. Hey, hey, this has been all over the news lately. Okay? And every article I've read says this if that happens, then Christianity especially is going to have to rethink its views. You look at me. I will never rethink my views. I'm pig-headed, for one thing. But for another thing, I will not be part of a deception. What if? I, I know you all say, Pastor Monty, this is very far-fetched. It may be a little. But what if there's some great deception out there that's going to come? And what if something happens? So many things have happened in our world. Would we have an explanation from Scripture? I would. I'm not getting into it right now. We'll get into it later. I would have one from Scripture. But the bottom line is this. I don't have to fall prey to the latest um, fad or the latest theory of modern science. I can obey the Bible. Okay, so I look at point B. Problems with theistic evolution. Number one, it assumes that the process of evolution is true. This assumption is huge because mounting evidence argues against evolution as a workable principle. The sudden appearance of major groups of species within the fossil record cannot be reconciled with the evolutionary principle. And that, that's a quote from Boyce. Again, Boyce did not hold our position, but he argues back and forth for the various positions, and that is a problem. And I won't have time. In fact, Brother Chris Clay, you're going to do some things for me when I'm gone. I'm going to be gone on vacation a little bit. He'll do some things that dig deeper into this creation aspect but if you really want to know about this and the science that is legitimately behind it, you need to go to Answers in Genesis website. How many of you have been to the Creation Science Museum? Anyone? Tremendous, tremendous. How many to the ark? Noah, Noah built the arky arky. Yeah, it's fun. It's just fun. Bring the kids to the ark. Um, but it's also educational. Okay, These things are for those of us who genuinely believe the Bible. And, and you do not have to be anti-science to be a Christian. But remember, anything that the Bible affirms scientifically is true. So anything that a scientist says that uh, denies something clearly taught in Scripture, we can say that that is false, okay? i look at point two. It assumes that God's intervention in all history is merely occasional rather than normative. The Bible paints a picture of God as active and not passive throughout all the epochs of time. Theistic evolution relies on the laws of natural selection with only occasional intervention of God. And again, there's no reason for this, and there's virtually no evidence for this. Well, Pastor Monty, what about different, um, what about different breeds of dogs? Well, sure, you can breed animals and come up with something different, but you know what? You can't get a dog to hook up with a monkey and get something out of that. Okay, it just doesn't work that way. So you, you understand things. Let's continue on. Point three, theistic evolution does not take the clear words and descriptions of the biblical account literally or seriously. The creation story becomes more of a symbolic myth than a literal account. For Bible-believing Christians, this is unacceptable. By the way, this would have been unacceptable for every Jew from time immemorial. 
Remember, when we look at Genesis, we're reading their scriptures. What, how did they interpret this? They took it literally. They, in no way did they ever come up with the idea of, there, well, there was some kind of evolution, or these were long epochs of time. No one, well, Pastor Monty, that's because they weren't as enlightened. <laughs> no, that's because they weren't as corrupt. And they believed by faith what God had said. I have, I have zero problem simply believing by faith what God has said. Theistic evolution, uh, or pardon me, number four, number four, uh, theistic evolution must deny that Adam is the human from which all others descended. And it becomes merely a catch name for highly evolved humans. The Bible, however, always presents Adam as a singular man, a precursor to Christ. Now, this is important, especially given a recent book, and I forget the title of the book, but a very eminent scientist has written a book recently, and he is not a fundamentalist Bible-believing Christian, okay? But he's written a book where he contends that all of humanity is traceable back genetically to two ancestors, people that we would call Adam and Eve. He doesn't claim to be trying to prove the Bible by this, but he says genetically, he says the evidence points to a common source. If evolution were true, then purportedly you would have this going on in various places with, with different groups of animals and with, with all of this. Can you imagine the time this would take, folks? Well, no, it, it just happened with two monkeys, and then they, their kids just kept developing more and more, and all the other monkeys fell off by the wayside. Really? Then how did we ever end up being here? It was only two. It had to be more than that if evolution is true. Because they're, I mean, what are the chances of those two even surviving? Okay, things were rather violent back then. It's crazy when you start to really think. It takes far more faith to believe in the theory of evolution than to believe that God simply made us as distinct from the animal world. But um, Adam, singular, we've got to understand something. God presents him that way. You do, when you take, when you say, well, Pastor Martin, it's just all the Neanderthal man and this and this and this, and they all, uh, they all converged somehow and they came from apes and here's the family tree. You do irreconcilable harm to theology because Adam was made in the image of God. He didn't evolve into the image of God. Adam fell from his position by his sin. Adam's sin transfers to all of us. It doesn't transfer to animals, okay? It transfers to all of us. And you damage all of biblical theology when you take away Adam and Eve. And theistic evolution, by its very nature, must take away Adam and Eve. Okay, let me go into uh, another one. Progressive creationism. Progressive. What is this? Um, here's a quote. This one's a little harder to understand, and it's yet a little more broad, and it gives people plenty of wiggle room. Progressive creationism. Quote, God created the world directly and deliberately, that is, without leaving anything to chance, but that he did it over long periods of time that correspond roughly to ge uh, geological ages. Moreover, this creation is still going on. Okay, so again, the six days are not literal. They're long periods of time, but rather than theistic evolution, God is more active in the creative process. 
Um, the position allows for the Big Bang Theory as God created the heaven and the earth, but the Bible does not say exactly how. Each of the six days of creation represents a long expanse of time during which the creative processes of each day continued until completion. Of course, this denies the literal 24-hour day insisted upon by the biblical text. So again, we reject this. Even though in this there seems to be more activity of God than, than theistic evolution, we would reject it. What are some of the problems with the theory? Progressive creationism denies the literal 24-hour day model clearly presented in the Bible text. It just denies it. Well, that's not really a day. It could be millions of years, but God was really guiding this process, but it could have been millions of years. Progressive creationism assumes death and decay prior to Adam's fall. Animals, for example, lived and died after their day, or epoch of time, prior to Adam's sin. Well, that's problematic, because we know death wasn't in this world until sin. So that's theologically very problematic. You can't hold to that. And again, be a, now watch, watch. Here's another point I want to make. You look at Genesis 1 through 11. You either believe it, or you deny it, or change it. Whenever you deny it or change it, you have taken a rock and thrown it into the pond, and it reverberates. Your denial or change will reverberate all the way into significant doctrines of the New Testament. You cannot do it. Folks, I'm, uh, just to be clear, you either believe this book from cover to cover or you don't. You can't pick and choose. You can't write it off. You can't rearrange it and change it, okay? There's no room for that because of the implications whenever you do that, theological implications. So um, look at point two under B. Progressive creationism assumed, oh, death and decay. I dealt with that. Point three, progressive creationism seeks to amalgamate older science and the fossil record with the Bible. It bows the need to uniformitarian geology, something completely unnecessary for the Bible believer. And by the way, something that is being increasingly abandoned by secular geologists. They simply cannot figure out how things were formed in this world by a uniformitarian model. And so they're rejecting it. Let's look at the summary quickly. The Bible plainly teaches a literal six-day creation period. Therefore, creation beginning on the first day of creation week argues for a young creation. The first day of creation week is the beginning of Earth's history as we know it. This likely places the beginning of creation uh, history at less than 12,000 years ago. And I'm generous with that number. Okay, Some people want to insist on 6,000 years. I have no problem with that. No problem whatsoever. But, but you tell 12,000 years to anyone in the secular world, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to be very surprised that you would say that. But the biblical record of creation... Adam and Eve, and then all the way through the Old and the New Testament, that biblical record can't go much more than 6,000 years. Okay, now they're, well, what about the genealogies? They don't contain every person, okay? Understand, sometimes generations were skipped in the genealogical record. That's not a problem with them. That was just how they handled them. So Usher, for example, Bishop Usher, you're familiar with him, he did a, a, a great study in dating all the way back to about 6,000 years, leaning heavily on ge genealogical information. I think there's a lot of accuracy there, but again, we can't be exactly precise about that. So understand that. Um, point B, the gap theory satisfies 
the biblical text without reading into it. It answers the creation of the angelic host and the timing of Satan's fall. It may also answer some scientific arguments for a geologically old earth, but that is not its primary focus. The biblical text, not science, is the basis of our faith. I hope, I hope you heard what I just said. Well, pa Pastor Monty, what if we get to heaven and you were wrong? Look at me. Look at me. I'd rather go to heaven believing what the Bible says in my simplicity than to go to heaven, and, and by the way, go to heaven believing the Bible says in my simplicity and find out, find out that I was wrong, than go to heaven not believing the Bible in its simplicity and find out that I was wrong. I will just believe what God says. When you say, Pastor, what, what, how is that? Because when I get to heaven, if it's us, be like, I say this respectfully, I say this respectfully, but I'll be like, uh, Lord, um, I seem to have read this. He gave it to us to understand. Okay, understand that. This is given to us. I don't think we'll have that argument when we get there. And then point C, the best view is probably old earth, young creation. It is not a compromised view. It simply fits the biblical text better without adding to the text or making unwarranted assumptions. It is, th it is a thoroughly orthodox or fundamentalist view, and that is the view I hold. Quickly, you have one minute if you have a question. Anyone? Okay, very good. I'm glad you don't because it would have been a longer question than I could answer. Let's all go to church, folks. Don't forget, you should join the choir.